of time. Sort of like, a, like Eric brought up last time, a grandiose version of nothing more than St. Nick that's keeping a list and checking it twice. So what do we really think when we say God is omnipresent, God is everywhere? So what we started to look at last week was that, well, maybe Scripture is teaching us that, no, God isn't a necessarily a noun somewhere just looking at everyone. God is verb and is truly everywhere all the time. In fact, Scripture seems to suggest that everything that is alive or everything, in fact, that is even created is because it is God's life. So God is everywhere, truly everywhere. And that reality is transformative and it can change us deeply if we want to surrender to it, if we want to, if we want to try to move into that. It, it, it changes a lot and we'll, we'll talk about in ways it does change as we get into more scripture this week. A reminder, please, if you're just a very non-talkative, shy person, that's fine and, and you don't want to share publicly, don't. But that should be the only reason you don't share. One of the reasons I'm also encouraging conversation more and more here at Cana is I think Cana is a pretty non-traditional church in the way at least we, we run things. It looks very traditional during our service, no doubt. And, and a lot of that's just on me. I, I did not have the privilege of growing up in a sort of a liturgical Orthodox church. And so I'm fascinated by it all. And that's why we have a very specific form of our service. But other than that, we're not traditional. And I want to engage that and, and, and show you that we're not. And what I mean by that is this. Unfortunately, churches, like any other organization, like people, like companies, like nations, like everything, we need to create them to feel good about us. And churches have been great about that, right? We're right. They're wrong. And so what happens then, you go to church and you are convinced you better think what those people next to you are thinking. And you better have the same beliefs as them or you don't belong. And I, I have said it from here that that's not who we are. We have all different people from different walks of life. There are people here I know that don't even believe, don't want to believe right now where they're at. Other people that are trying to figure out what they believe. We have people that are strong, strong believers and everything in between. But one of the things that we are not trying to be at Cana is right. We're trying to be faithful. And what's fascinating about being faithful is all of a sudden maybe some of these things that are right just become second nature. Whereas when you're just trying to be right all the time, you can be the most unfaithful person in the world. I grew up in that environment. I was very right when I was younger, all the time. Right down to the blasphemous position that I thought if Jesus were to come again, as he did back then, he would come to the church I was at. Nope, he was Jewish. He wasn't even Christian. But I was right, so therefore he must be coming to my church. You see? So I want this conversation. I want to hear, we want to hear from you. It's important so that... Billy over there who's like, I don't believe any of this, all of a sudden hears from Mary over here that she doesn't either. Oh, great. Or someone back there says, I really believe this. And someone up here says, I do too. And all of a sudden we realize that in diversity, we're a community. And it's beautiful and we're in this together. Okay? So we talked about what it meant to be omnipresent. We looked at some scriptures from the Old Testament and some from the New Testament. 
and it was great, and we just started to really see this thing that God is, God is everywhere. God is in all things. All things are not God. There is one God, but God's life is in everywhere. So let's move on. So if we went through all these scriptures. If you're a speed reader, you can catch right up with us. And I'm going to get right to where we're going to start today. As soon as I see the, a word omnipresent. Is that it? Yes, boom. So let's get, this is a beautiful psalm to start our second part of the day, Psalm 33, 5 through 9, because it starts to dive into, I want to talk more about what, if this is true, if God is everywhere, what does that mean? And what does that mean specifically for some of our tightly held Christian doctrines and tenets and, and beliefs? So, the Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. Yes. It has to be. Because the earth is all God's life, right? So that's a beautiful statement that the psalmist recognizes. It is filled with his unfailing love. Do we always see it? No. Because especially the one species that has control over this thing often doesn't acknowledge it, doesn't surrender to it, doesn't live it out. And so the world's more often filled with hate and violence and every other kind of evil under the sun because we who are supposed to surrender to it and let love through us, that is in us, don't. But so it's true, it's everywhere. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, the starry host by the breath of his mouth. So we, we last week, and I wanted to start again here, just to bring everyone together again. Last week we saw that it's the breath of life, right? He breathed life into man. He, and well, here he's breathing life into the stars. You see, you can't create an us-them duality and really be engaged in the scriptures. You can't. You can be engaged in parts of scripture. You can be engaged in Greek Christianity. But you can't engage the scripture as we know it fully. And still have a duality in, of any kind. Even life this. Go Eric. Life yeah. Not bad. It, it, but is God not where darkness is? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't see conflict as necessary duality. That's what I mean. Like, because what happens if God is not in dark, that's how we kill others. Right? That's where the Crusades came from. Well, God's not in them. We'll just slaughter them. Do you see what I mean? So that's what I'm getting at. The, the idea that there's conflict, absolutely. I'm with you on that. There's light. There's. Yeah. God is everywhere. This idea, how can we break down this us-them? Do you know what I mean? And this is why as we start getting into some of these cherished verses, like you brought up, what does it mean, though, if this is true? Liz. That's good. But then what happens when we're going to get to one of a great verse, nothing can separate us, though, from the love of God. Nothing. Right? So this is why it's so, I love this exercise. The more scriptures we can dive into, the broader it becomes. The broader. Because let's face it, how many of us are really voiced in the entire Bible? Right? You can go to seminary and get a PhD in Bible and not be voiced in the entire Bible. Trust me. So we take a lot of what we believe based on what other people tell us, as opposed to really. So it's, it's good at times just 
pull back and broaden out and just let Scripture speak. So I find this beautiful. I think it's amazing. I think that even if he is giving life to even what we would consider not alive things like the starry heavens, then God is big. And so maybe everything that exists exists because God is there. Okay, let's move in. With all of this background, even if you weren't here last week, just try to think, just try to think of God everywhere. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. Why is that? Like why? How? What? That, that's Paul, I think. The gospel that's been preached and proclaimed to every creature. What does that mean? I know. And I'm sure I didn't give you an answer you wanted. Yeah? A little bit. So that, right? And I, I'm not going to say much about this particular verse. There's other things. That, but you see, here's a verse. But I never saw a creature in that verse ever. No one ever told me to start preaching the gospel to creation. What's more, people told me half the world had never heard the gospel. But there's St. Paul saying, nope, the gospel that you heard has been, pro- has been proclaimed to every creature. Becca. Come and find me. You're going to do that today. That's why you're doing it. Yeah. That's And so those of us that believe the Bible is God's word, whatever that means, there's a lot of difference on what that means, we know. But this is why this is such a yes statement. If God is already in there, God is nonstop preaching the gospel to everything he's in. Ourselves, all the time, have the gospel preached to us. Though we don't want to listen. Often, right? Yeah, these are big. These are big. Okay, so then let's go on and let's look at another one. And again, with everything we have in mind, what then could this mean? Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. There's a big statement. Christ is all. And in all. Thoughts? What does it make you think of as you read these verses that are so familiar to those of us who have been, you know, have claimed some sort of faith for a long time, and all of a sudden you start thinking, wait a second. Maybe if all of Scripture is telling us God really is omnipresent, what does this do to this very exclusive idea that we've held on to for a long time. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I like that. And then what does this mean then as far as sharing the gospel? That's already been shared, according to Paul's letter to the Colossians, but we're still even told by God in the flesh himself, go out, make disciples. But see, now that's fascinating terminology that he used, which maybe makes more sense. Right? Go make disciples. So then what might this mean if it's already been preached and it's already there, then it's a bit different, isn't it? Of, for example, we, at the beginning of Cana, we used to be involved in English as a second language. Well, you have to bring something new to someone who has never, ever heard it and could never possibly know, Right? Maybe that's not the model. Dave? Yeah, it changes the angle a little bit, right? We're not the keeper of all things, giving those things to people. We're actually going out to try and find the gospel, right? Find the gospel where it already exists. Just kind of expose that gospel, if you will. I love that language, expose. Expose the gospel that is already being preached to someone in them. Help them find this. Remember when we did the Cherokee parable? And why I keep coming back to it? Some of you hear it a lot more from me than others, but I just love it. That's preach, expose people about the good wolf in them. And tell them to stop listening to the bad wolf. Expose people to the gospel in them. The Christ in them who is what, according to Scripture? We're getting to it reconciling all things to himself. These are big ideas. Big. Big that should be threatening a little bit. For those of us that have been in church a long time, they have to be challenging. They have to be threatening. For those who haven't been in church, maybe it's just, oh, okay. And all these things different in between. All right, so now what I'm going to ask you to do is we're going to read a very classic passage from Scripture in Ephesians, a passage most of us will be familiar with, and it is often the, what's that word, Rich? Like the, the flashpoint of, ugh, my mind just left me. Anyway, it's often the place that Calvinists and Arminians want to go to have this debate and this argument that I don't think St. Paul knew anything about. All right, so here it is. In light of everything we've been talking about, let's, let's just read this and think about this maybe in a new way. Praise be to God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. How beautiful is that now? if what we're discovering might be true.
Eric. It sort of takes an incredibly challenging passage and makes it unbelievably beautiful, doesn't it? Right. Yeah. See, so what could be for he chose us in him before the creation of the world, what could be an incredible an incredible proof that God only loves some people and therefore really difficult truth all of a sudden becomes something much more beautiful. Right? It doesn't, and in fact, while it's used to create that duality that I've been talking against, it's in fact, it explodes that duality. Because from the creation of the world, all of us were graced with his life and his love. Or what if the choosing was God just choosing to make us? Yes. Yes, I love that. I've been waiting. I've been seeing it wrinkled on people's foreheads. I've been waiting. That's such a great question. I know. What does that mean then? Liz. Yeah, or it's possible there is. This doesn't necessarily go against that. Paul.
Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, no, and there's so many stories like that. I have my own story from Australia when I lived there with Aboriginal peoples and Australian groups and knowing stories that were being told to them, knowing that man. But I want to do get, I want to talk, but go, go Des. So this question about salvation, if, if love is what I believe God is showing love is, which is this complete self-giving, right? By necessity, then, God abdicates. Love abdicates. That's, that's, Simon Wheel said that, which I think is the most beautiful definition of love ever, right? Love abdicates. God abdicates. And so then, by necessity, isn't going to force himself on any of us. In us, create us, his life in us, the possibility that we do not have to live under, to use a traditional word, sin. But sin should not be a word that scares anybody. All right. It used to scare me. It doesn't scare me anymore because I know when I'm missing the mark. It's pretty obvious when I'm missing the mark. Okay? But there's this promise that that doesn't need to be our destiny. That isn't the end of man. The end of man can be what they were created to be, what they were chosen to be filled with grace. It's there for them to have. But if we choose not to have it, do you see? There's the salvation. We can choose to have it because God died so we could have it. Died from the beginnings of the world. Died, died, chose us in him before he created. I'm going to make a universe that I am going to love and it's going to be built on my death. 
And if they would surrender to that, and if you would embrace that grace, we'll live in grace. This is why I started with that quote. Most of you are still home in bed, but, but you're caught up now. And that quote was, I'd rather be faithful than right. Because when we're right, we're often not faithful. Being right destroys, often. Where do you find the greatest hypocrisy in religion, not just in Christianity, with those who are most right usually? But where do you then find the most true rightness in those who are most faithful? Mother Teresa, filled with doubt and everything else, how faithful was she to living out the gospel in her? And we all know this stuff. So then, so and this is why it always gets tricky. So there's two reasons people, I think, don't read scripture like this. One, the idea of pantheism. We get afraid. Oh, then everything's divine. Nope, I didn't say that. There's one God. His life is in everything. But not everything is God. I'm not God. I've never met a person I would worship, ever. And, I, and as much as I love the ocean, as much as I love sunsets, and I don't worship that. So I think people are afraid of pantheism, so they don't want to go here. The second reason is this. Oh, that evil word, universalism, comes out. Well, then what's the point if everyone's going to be reconciled? Well, first of all, I just don't... I, I think the idea that everyone is going to choose to be reconciled to God is as, to me, and I apologize, but I think that, to me, is as short-sighted as Calvin's God. It's a God that is in it for himself, not in for his creation. But if his life, if he gave his life so we could live, then he's not self-serving in any way. In any way. And so to force us into his kingdom is as bad as keeping some of us out of his kingdom. That's why I still believe in salvation. Language changes a little. It's a more beautiful gospel to me than an angry God that just saves a few who get it right. But I'm still perfectly fine with humans not wanting it. Listen, every single one of us who claim to be saved, how are we doing with loving our enemies? How are we doing with forgiveness? Every time we choose not to forgive someone, we're rejecting the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you see what I mean? I was six years old on my back porch praying that Jesus would come into my heart because at six years old, the day before, I was told I was going to hell if he isn't in my heart. So why do you think I was saying that prayer? I certainly wasn't accepting this beautiful gospel. I didn't even know what it was. I was trying not to go to hell. Why be right when we can be faithful instead? And I get saved, and I reject, and I get saved, and I reject, and I get saved, and I reject, and and it's this beautiful dance. But I am convinced as long as I am open to this dance, nothing will separate me from that grace of God. Only I can do that. I can reject this dance, Becky. Yeah, sorry.
Nothing can separate us from the love of God. God's love will never stop pursuing us. Yeah. How do we walk away from each other? Right. But I do, and I don't want to get into, these are brilliant. I want to push you to answer those questions for yourself through this. But I would ask a question in return. How do we break any relationship? How do we reject any relationship. We're all very good at turning our backs on people. And I think if God is truly about love, he can't force that on us. I just, I, see, I'm fine that unlike the rest of creation, let's get a couple verses ahead, we'll find the rest of creation. Man was giving something unique, this thing to be self-determinant. And I just don't think love takes that away. So that's why we need to help people see that that this is reality. Why not embrace this more beautiful thing? Why not trust, right? So on those days, and so when I talk about reject not, reject not, I'm not talking about, that's what I mean. I, I have made a conscious decision to want to be open to grace. My rejection of it is more how I live it out. Do you know what I mean? But I've made a conscious decision. Every morning I wake up, I want to be open to grace. I know I'm going to not be. Because I'm, you know, but I want to be. Paul? Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I think, I find, I, I guess I don't have as much hope in humanity as other people do. I find it's very easy to reject God. And, and as far as that, when is it final, Beck, I have no idea. But all I know is like, because I've had, I have some good universalist friends, and we always have back and forth on this in conversation. And they're like, well, once, if, if it doesn't happen at death, when does it happen? And as soon as someone sees they're going to want it, I'm like, really? So the best example I can give is, let's say, God forbid, your child was raped and killed. And when the day comes that you're welcome in, and there's that guy. You going in to sit down next to him and have a meal? Do you see grace? We hate grace at a core level. Not the chorus level, because the chorus level, we love it, because the chorus level that is God. But there's a part of us that just reject that and always will reject that. Always. We'll always reject. Do you see? So that's why I'm comfortable that there is need of salvation. There is need of a total surrender that this is the way. This, I, that's why I'm fine with Jesus' language, narrow is the road. I don't know when it gets narrow, but I am fine that people can't, can't live grace and never will choose to live grace. Ah. And and that's right. And so maybe who said they were? Oh wait, everyone's been preached the gospel. I think what you're saying is there are whole populations of people who have not heard it explained the way you've heard it explained. But I doubt there's any populations that do not have a God in their world and in their view and their philosophy. And, and at the end of the day, it's grace, Christ, or not. I don't know. I don't know. Does it look like Christ? You know, it says, so, you know, we are all saved through Christ. How, well, how that looks, I don't know, but I know that's where salvation comes from. And there's a part of this God that we can never understand, but it's very clear that we know what God is like. God is like Jesus. That's the easiest thing we can say because Jesus himself said, I'm God. And if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So that's not being exclusive. That's not being closed-minded. That is what's God like? Jesus Christ. So what is Jesus Christ like? It takes time to explore and be willing to face things we don't necessarily are attracted to and, and like a lot. He's a great, keep wrestling. Wait, Paul, one second. I haven't heard from Craig. Let's hear Craig.
So, beautiful thoughts. It's already, I, I want the band to play one more song for us. So I intended to go through four pages. We went through two verses. That's awesome. <laughs> but that's why I like this. I, I like this. I want to keep going if you guys are okay with it. Next, next week's Father's Day, I'm going to do, do a more traditional sermon next week as I talk about some of this idea that God is the builder of the house and we are his house and he lives in us, Father, all that kind of stuff. Then we'll come back, we'll have more conversation. Here's what I want to encourage you all with, a few things, though. The questions are great. Don't be afraid of these questions, number one. Okay? But don't ignore them if they're hard. Keep pursuing the questions. Number two, I want to make sure you understand that when we're having these conversations, I do not intend to... Be the answer person. I'm not the answer man. I'm just like you. I'm on this journey with you. I do my best to pastor us and guide us, but I'm, I'm just more of a, sh a Sherpa, a servant of you in this journey, helping you through it. I don't have all the answers. Sometimes I do have my own answers for your question, but it, okay, it's taken me decades to find an answer to what is a very important question to you. I'm not going to flippantly give you my answer that I have wrestled for decades to get to. And I want to encourage all of us, those of us especially that have that personality, like, oh, I got the answer to that. I got the it's okay. It's okay not to give answers in, this, in these conversations. It's good to give our thoughts, but don't worry. You know, I'm sure some of us, you know, like 20 years ago, I, I would be like, oh, my gosh, I got to get to Rebecca. I got to give her all the answers to those questions. No, I don't. It's okay. It's okay. But the last thing I will also say, which is very important, be authentic in this. I believe grace is the final reality. I believe Jesus Christ is God. I believe there is mercy for all of us. And one of the saddest things for me is to use an old cliche when the baby gets thrown out with the bathwater. And I want to encourage all of you. Some of you are fine with where you're at. But those of you that are wrestling, try to discern the difference between the baby and the bathwater. 
yep, a few babies might have to go out with the bathwater occasionally, but be open to grabbing them back. Just because they're in dirty bathwater doesn't mean they're dirty. That is huge. That has been huge to me. Come and kiss my face 